Welcome to the Passport season of the New Exchange Podcast. My name is Ken Grandpierre, and what you're about to hear is the first bonus episode of the season. When I was forming my episode for France, it did dawn on me multiple times that I had to discuss Haiti, my family's home. Even though our roots extend back to France pre-colonization, Haiti is the country that still holds a large portion of my family. It's a country that made my parents the people that they are today, and crucially, it's home to the most successful slave rebellion ever staged by a nation. Haiti's history and place in the world is multi-layered, and with that is a sense of complexity that's immense. In my humble opinion, talking about France without eventually bringing up Haiti would have been so wrong, hence today's episode, and man, it really is a special one. As much as we talk about Haiti, we also explore the life story of my guest, Michael Brun, a ridiculously talented DJ, producer, and songwriter from Haiti that I've been dying to talk to. Michael's journey in music has been an insane ride, with collaborations with Ed Sheeran, J Balvin, Masego, and so many more. His fierce work ethic is deeply tied to his Haitian upbringing, and together we have a deep chat about our childhoods, along with why we love music so much. Before we get into this, I should mention that when I was recording this talk, I was at the start of a period where I lost my voice. Luckily, it's not too distracting, but if you listen to this and wonder at any point, man, his voice sure sounds strained, well, that's why. <laughs> it's alright, I don't mind sounding like a Muppet to bring you a great chat. It's all good, man, it's all good. Michael will have a new project coming out soon, so be sure to follow him on all socials so you don't miss out. Another thing you can't miss out on is his upcoming concerts. These shows are going to be out of this world, full of amazing vibes, a variety of food, surprise guests, and yeah, the first one is happening in Montreal this Friday, and the next one is happening in Central Park here in New York City on July 22nd. Remember to subscribe on the app you're listening to this on and to also rate and leave a review over on Apple Podcasts. Those ratings help us independent creatives in a big way, so if you like what you hear, do let me know about it. This is The New Exchange with Michael Brun. Enjoy. Stop passé, Michael. How are you doing? I'm good. Yeah. I have a feeling we're going to have a really good time with this because, yeah, uh, I'm Haitian as well. My family's Haitian anyway. And, um, yeah, like when I heard about your music and heard about your story and then looked into everything, I just love the fact that there was just so much Haitian representation in a way that was very modern and, like, it's really impactful seeing that. So first, thanks for that, because it's a beautiful fucking thing to see. No, I really appreciate it. And also, thanks, thanks for setting this up. I'm looking forward to talking. Yeah, of course, man, of course. So um, a few months ago, I believe you briefly talked about your past in regards to like your childhood and how you came up. Uh, can you share some of that here? Because it was really fascinating, to be honest with you. Yeah, yeah of course. Um, so I'm Haitian and Guyanese, but I was born in Port-au-Prince. And uh, my, my father's Haitian, my mother's Guyanese. So I lived in Haiti up until I was 15. And during that time, I was like hyper-focused on becoming a doctor, which is like a very traditional Caribbean story. But uh, I, I just felt really passionate about healthcare. And specifically, I wanted to be a pediatrician because I, I felt like in my life I had roof over my head, food, education, like a lot of things that I clearly could see were not always available in Port-au-Prince. And it was, it, it really felt like a responsibility that the fact that I, I had those opportunities and I wanted to pass that on to as many other people as possible. And 
through healthcare, it just felt like the easiest thing I could think of. Like, I want to make an impact somehow. So was a doctor uh, path, right? Like, that was, like, the whole thing for most of my life. Then went to military school in Indiana. You went to military school? Yeah, I went to military school in Indiana because I got a scholarship. So you willingly... I willingly went. Can I just jump in? Because, like, yeah. if you don't want me asking, how old are you? I was, I'm, now I'm 30. Yeah, you're 30. So I'm 32, and I bring this up in context. So growing up as, like, a Haitian kid in the 90s, at least here in America, it was a big thing where, like, anytime you did something wrong, your parents threatened you with oh, like, yeah. military school. <laughs> My dad used to have the brochures. He had the brochures, and he would just silently take them out, like, are you sure? Yep, yep. So you literally, like, that's, okay, that's insane. Yeah, so that, that whole process, right, like, I... At that point, Haiti was going through a really intense moment because that was, that was around the, the time that Aristide was overthrown. And so the political situation in the country and like just functioning, day-to-day functioning of the country was, was basically at a standstill. There was like, at one point, there was like tanks, tanks in the streets and it was just basically locked down and, and school was shut down for like months at a time. And even at that point, I remember being aware that like if I wanted to be a doctor I probably needed to go to school (laughs) so I was like if I actually want to go to school maybe this military school right like because I got a scholarship and I'd never lived in the states before it was like maybe that's gonna help me finish schooling and then like I, I could eventually do that with my life so the opportunity came up and I kind of just took it and was like, I'm going to make it work somehow and figure it out. It wasn't like my parents were like, you're a bad kid, like, you need to go. Like, it, was, it was very much uh, like a conscious decision. And I think in retrospect, I really value the experience because the discipline of that school and also kind of, you know, like living on your own, whether you experienced that in college or after college, like whatever point in your life where you like really are making your own choices and you're living in your yeah. own space. Like I, I've got to experience that at 15 and I think it helped me figure out like what my passions were it helped me really discover music as, as something that I cared about and um that's really where like me DJing and producing started becoming a major hobby in my in life the context of military school. in the context of military school wow like were, were you doing it there or were you do it around outside because I imagine the school was also the form of a base but you do it like outside of the base or? so it was the way that the school was set up was we had like it was, it was called Culver Military Academy, and it, it was basically, like, leadership and military um, throughout the day, but then you had, like, a normal boarding school type setup as well, oh, so okay. it, was, it was, like, a little bit of both, and um, I, I would, I had started making music in Haiti as, as, like, really as a hobby, like, I played piano and played violin and sang and, like, did different uh, musical, like, experiments, I guess, like, just trying things and seeing what I liked, but... Um, it was with the DJing, especially that that like started around the time that I was leaving to go to Indiana. And um, on my off time in Indiana, I would go to class, do everything military related, do all of that stuff. And then when I had you know an hour, two hours free, I would uh, I would just work on music and learn DJing and just like try stuff in at, on my laptop. And that's that's like where I figured out like SoundCloud and Hype Machine and like all these things that eventually helped me get uh, music out there you know what blows my mind about the story well i mean literally like everything but like having grown up in a haitian household myself for me there was a lot of focus on like go to school go to work but this it was also this kind of weird paradox and i feel like you find this a lot in like the islands and also in south america where there is this 
overt appreciation for art and music, especially in the context of parties, even funerals sometimes. And, you know, it's kind of interesting to me in that because I feel like even though you have that existing, because you always have it beaten in your head about go to school, go to work, it's almost like existing on a like a plane where it's like one side here, one side there. So for you, even though you did find yourself ensnared by your passion for music, where did you find yourself thinking like, oh, I could actually do this as a focus of my life? Like, do, was it like a conscious thought at all? It, it definitely was like a, a eureka moment in college where it was, it went from being, this is definitely never going to be a career to like, yeah. whoa, this actually might become a career. Um, because yeah, it, like you're saying, right? It's almost like a paradox that art is so central in, in many ways, I think the way that Haiti's history has evolved, like art and expression of self in kind of like in a revolutionary kind of way has always existed. And so the people, like it, most, most times when you go to Haiti, if you speak to anybody, like they can play an instrument or they can figure something out or yeah. they can sing or they can drum or they can play the guitar, you know, like it's like that, I, I, that definitely influenced the way that I approach things because it, it's kind of like out of necessity, you make things work. And in the context of art, it, it like leads to the kind of art that Haiti produces because there's like a lot of metal work. So like there's metal around, we're going to make metal work, you know, like we're going to yeah. figure out art. Or if there's like, if there's wood, we're going to make carvings, you know, and it's like just working with what you have access to to just make something beautiful out of it. Um, while at the same time, you have a regular job or you have like the traditional kind of paths. And yeah, the, with, with my life story, like going to, from military school to then going, uh, I went to North Carolina and was pre-med in college. Um, it was in my sophomore year where my advisor, from, so I was a bio major and I was pre-med. Um, my advisor in, in uh, Davidson, his name was Dr. Campbell. He came to me and it was just like, because we had talked about what I was doing with music and I was uploading stuff. And um, it was exciting because I was, I was starting to get like a couple viral moments and things were working out. And he, he just came to me and was like, is this normal? Does this happen to everybody? And I was like, to be honest, I'm not sure, but it feels like it's exciting. Like it feels, you know, cause I'm getting contacted by a couple artists that I really looked up to or um, things were like, you know, I was getting like tens of thousands of plays on things. And eventually it was like hundreds of thousands. And he just told me, this seems like an opportunity for you to pursue something that you're clearly passionate about. And that was the moment where it clicked in my head. I was like, Whoa, like this actually is, might not just be a hobby. This might turn out to be a career. And, that, that's when I, that time period in sophomore year in college is when I spoke to my parents about it, like really seriously. Uh, so he, he introduced me to the dean of the school and we spoke to the school. And because uh, I also had a scholarship for pre-med and it was like essentially a full ride, which at, at that point was nuts. Like I would not have gone to college if I hadn't gotten that. So how are you alive? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, it's like crazy. Uh, it was, it was really crazy. Like I, I always did well in school. Like I did, I really focused. And- how did your parents take that? In terms of leaving school, it was not easy because I think with, with reason, right? Within reason, yeah. like when you, if you have the opportunity to like go to school for free and like sure. pursue a career that's, that's like really successful, right? And in many ways, like you can do well being a doctor to change that halfway through is like really intense. But um, I, and I think this is partially from military school, right? Like I knew that I needed to have a plan. And when I spoke to my advisor and I spoke to the dean, they, they told me, like, 
you can try this we'll hold your scholarship if it doesn't work you just come back and that was like my oh, that was yeah. my ammo so i went to i went to my parents like hey i already spoke to everybody this is on hold everything's good my grades are still good like i can try it and if it doesn't work out i can always come back respectfully and this is like because the context of this talk, we're going to talk a lot about you, but a lot about Haitian culture yeah, as well. Yeah. But in the context of what you just said there, respectfully, I knew there was something. Because I was like, there's no way Haitian parents would let him live no, after doing that. No, That's no. not going to happen. <laughs> so it, was, it had to make sense and it had to be logical in some way. And I think making that kind of decision is funny, right? Like it's also a paradox because in a certain way, I think it's illogical because you're doing something that has no chance of success really. Like it's, yeah. it's like complete luck. But then at the same time, when I look back at my life, I definitely could have only made that choice. Like that was the clear choice because of how much I loved it and like how rewarding it's been since. And yeah, in the moment, I definitely didn't realize that. I just had to, <laughs> had to figure out like, okay, based on in very much in the Haitian approach of creating things. It's like, here's what I have access to. Here's what's available to me. I, got, I have to make a compelling argument to be able to get my parents to support me trying this thing. And, uh, and it worked. So I'm here now. That's amazing. Yeah. So the thing that really drove me to loving your music, apart from it just genuinely sounding good, is that a major part of your style is integrating Haitian musical styles of electronic beats and doing so in ways that, I mean... I perceive them to be unexpected. I'm sure a lot of people do, which is why they connect to them. Yeah. Um, tell me this, because like, I feel like if, you were, if I was to be asked this, I wouldn't be able to answer, so I'm going like, to throw this ball at you. What has it been about Kampa that has excited you back then when you were growing up and excites you now? Because I think what's fascinating about that style of music is that you can play it in a room, and regardless of anyone's connection to the culture it does something i feel like maybe you've witnessed that right yeah yeah absolutely the, f the funny thing is that as i was growing up i actually did my best to not work on compa music like i was yeah. i was doing everything i possibly could to make something different to it because it was such a big part of what you would hear on a daily basis in the country yeah. and at that point electronic music felt like it felt like a community that I had found. Like it was like something that I found online and it was like very personal and it spoke to me and it was like, it, it basically opened the door to me producing and eventually DJing. And all of those things were pretty rare at that point, like within the context of what the Haitian music industry looked like. And so, yeah, like with Kwampa, I appreciated it, but at the same time, I, it's now more recently, especially in through doing the bio shows, which are these like big uh, Asian themed block parties that I've been doing for like six, seven years now, um, and working together with artists across generations. So like the some of the biggest compa artists like Tabu Kombo or like um, different people within the Haitian uh, music industry over the last like forty years. Uh, so guys like Fabrice Wuzier, uh, who did Aiti Tubadu, which is like one of the most successful Haitian uh, projects as well. Um, Bookman Experience, all these like classic artists, even with Wyclef, right? Like all these classic artists that either revolutionized Compa or like were a big part in its popularity rising. And it was in that, that moment of my life, like over the last like five years that I really began to like incorporate it more into the production that I was doing. And um, it took kind of like a distance from it to really appreciate it as both 
somebody that grew up with it and was aware of it throughout my entire life. But then also, like, like you're saying, that genre was our like, iconic, internationally known genre. Yeah. And it was always interesting to hear how other people heard that song. You know, like any song that was massive that, that made impact, for a foreigner to hear it, they would appreciate certain elements. But then for a local person to hear it, they would appreciate different elements. And I, I learned to see both of those sides. And I think that that was really, really, really important to me in terms of production was I wanted to pay respect to it. But then I also wanted to work in a way where it would like take those elements that felt international and incorporate them into other genres. Well, you know, it's interesting that we're on this like train of uh, thought with the conversation because when I met you like back at that um, Astroworks thing, the first thing I thought of, because uh, before like they interviewed you, they had like a reel of like, you know, your journey and yeah. some of the things you've been through. And something that really spoke to me was like how clear it was that you've had so many unique experiences that extend beyond Haiti while waving the Haitian flag in a way. Yeah. And it, the first thing I thought of when I knew we'd be talking was like, do you, like, I really was so curious to know, like, do you remember a moment or a series of moments where you witnessed like Haitian styles of music working in a club or like a venue in a different country city that like, you know, probably didn't have that Haitian connection? Because I imagine for you being in like the center of that, witnessing people react, it must have been quite poignant in a way. Yeah, there's there's a couple of moments, I think, as a DJ especially, I think DJs have a big responsibility in music becoming popular because like you were saying we were talking earlier about gorillas right like for for a lot of people going to a concert it's it might be difficult to afford tickets to go to a concert or to have the chance to even have the artist come to your city right like unless you're in a big city the likelihood of them coming to, to perform is low but the likelihood of a dj in a bar or in a restaurant or at a club or like you know somewhere that's easier to get to playing the song you'll hear it way more often in that kind of context, especially before like Spotify and like, yeah. you know, even with TikTok and Instagram, like especially before those were so accessible, like being able to hear music was so accessible. DJs were creating all of these cultural uh, moments. And I think one of the first moments that I realized like Haitian music actually is integrated in a lot of ways that I didn't expect was like, I, I was, DJing these uh, electronic music events in Miami and there were a lot of DJs that were playing this song that had Creole in it and it was like a whole chant in Creole really? and it was like a remix done by this I think it was a French artist I need to find which one because there was a couple but there was like one in particular that was very very popular yeah and they had like a full Creole phrase <laughs> in the song it was like the hook of the song but, like, but nobody like knew reacting. yeah like... people people are listening to it and dancing to it and loving it but like didn't know with the origin they couldn't tell you anything about like where it was coming from and i think when you appreciate something that you don't understand that's like really powerful that's when you know that it's resonating with people because in that context you're just at a club dancing and then it's giving you this impact and so i remember that was really that was one of the moments and um it it made me realize that like you can recontextualize basically anything <laughs> and with, in terms of haitian culture like it still felt authentic right because like, the crowd was correct and like the, you know, it was like clearly a haitian artist that somebody recorded or they found on youtube or something but um yeah it was it was uh really powerful man that is like 
I, I had a feeling you would have an answer for that. And it's so incredible to know. And I'm kind of noticing this as like a trend um, in the context of your journey and your music is like how there are all these inflection points that kind of reinforce the passion that's there. And it's like, it's very beautiful that you can like really reflect on that and really have it as like a near tangible thought. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I kind of want to go a bit deep with you for a second because Haiti has one of the most unique stories in the world, historically speaking, that is. And I love that I get to share this. Um, <laughs> I actually remember last year I was in France and I've been to France loads, but I was in France for a wedding. And for some reason, I was just like bringing Haiti up to a bunch of my Haitian, to a bunch of my French friends, which I hadn't done before. And it was almost like with a slight chip on the shoulder, but in a funny way, because I do love France. But what I was kind of bringing up and what I wanted to talk to you about is like how insane it is that Haiti is the only country in the, in the history of the world that successfully fought for freedom. The only country in the world that led a successful slave revolt. Yeah. I didn't learn about this until much later in my life. Um, my dad talked to me about it, like I think when I was maybe 17 or so, but the impact and like the kind of reverence of pride of what that means didn't really hit me until probably my mid to late 20s. And there's a lot of pride to be associated with something like that. And I wonder for you, having not only been born there, but, you know, growing up in Port-au-Prince a bit as well, like, what does that mean to you when you hear that? Like, knowing that you come from a place that has them. Yeah, I think throughout my life, it's definitely impacted me in different ways. Um, I think growing up in Haiti and seeing the state of the country and seeing the beauty of the country, seeing the faults of the country, seeing how internationally the news represents things, seeing how many times it was skewed into the negative space. Like very rarely it was positive stories. Very rarely it was hailing anything that, you know, historically what, of what the, what the people in the country have done over the last 200 plus years. Um, it always felt, it felt like kind of a superpower <laughs> to be Haitian because there's like an element of like, resilience baked into the core of the country that like that that kind of not just being the first but like being the only to do something is like over that much time is really impactful right because it's if it could have been done again it would have been done again yeah. i i think that in that way understanding like historically once the revolution happened how all of the the colonizing nations had very quickly to react to that to make sure that all of the other colonies didn't do the same thing in different ways like yeah sorry not to cut you off so yeah. this is what i was bringing up to my french yeah. friends in context is that haiti over the years i believe even to now has had to pay reparations oh, yeah. to all these countries I, I think the united states was a country up until a certain point or they still are i don't remember but france is still a country and i was basically at this wedding getting drunk off wine amongst, amongst a bunch of french friends and i was like hey, what do you think if the country, if Haiti would just stop paying reparations, you have to pay them back? And I saw, I love these people dearly. I have to say, France is a beautiful country. But I saw the fear in those people's eyes when yeah. they knew what that would mean. Yeah. And it speaks to just like the interesting, I mean, we could have a whole separate conversation about this, but it speaks to almost like the hypocrisy of that. But then I've had friends, who, I haven't been to Haiti yet, myself unfortunately but i have friends who have been and something i've heard echoed is that sense of resilience that you talked about where even in the midst of all that look at the beauty that could exist in this place. yeah yeah it's it's a necessity thing and i i genuinely feel like 
that resilience is it's kind of like it's become a positive out of just making it work but ideally you don't want to even have to have resilience you know because of trauma and all the things that come from that but i do think that for many many haitians they've been forced throughout their you know like hundreds of years of the history of the country they've been forced to make things work you just have to make things work for survival and it's beautiful in the sense of seeing just like the capacity of human of a human you know like and how far you can go in order to make things better but then at the same time historically like you're saying right what would happen and just in with even if it's just between france and haiti it's the the revolution had really really dire impacts in terms of the future of the you know basically the modern world at this point and um whether it was economic impact with embargoes and with payments that had to be made and all this taxation and and you know directly to haiti how that it affected the country but then also when france basically had to let go of haiti as a colony that was one of their biggest economic uh like things that was bringing the most amount of money to the country at that point so they lost this big chunk of money that was coming really regularly and then the louisiana purchase happened as as a result of that and like so many things shifted and i think at this point in time the way that all of this has evolved it's just made me appreciate historically like the impact of the country and like the impact of cultures shifting and, and like even in, in the scope of music right like haiti's musical dna you can see influence from europe you can see influence from africa you can see influence natively from the taino people you can see how those things influenced all these american genres and and like cuban music and south american music like all these different things just in, if you just focus on music alone were a result of the revolution and colonization and, and all these things so it's like despite this horrible thing and and like i think it's really important to know the history so that you can like accurately see why things happen um beauty came from it despite that and that's how i view the resilience it's like i wish the country wasn't at the point where that was the necessity right yeah. but i appreciate that it's there because it does allow me to and and you know all these everybody from haiti that i've met throughout my entire life like there's this like shared um passion for the country and also shared like work ethic and and thought process like you just need to make things work and it's beautiful honestly and you know i don't think this would be trite to say this is like quite a a segue that's tied to everything we just discussed but in the context of the music industry man it's like that resilience people could say it that you need it people could say that it's um necessary to have to just you know get up in the morning and do what you need to do but like it is such a requirement that i feel like is not unspoken but underrepresented or misrepresented and like this kind of speaks to how i view you and like your art because you know, reading up on you, like, there's a wild list of collaborations that you've had in your career already. And, you know, you could see that and think like, oh, man, like, look at this dude who knows all these people. But like, that's work. It's hard work to one, put in like the work to have a conversation where collaboration could materialize, then everything else it entails. And then like, to me, that's like a very fierce work ethic. And also speaks to like resilience of just like, pursuing this as a passion and 
I wonder, like, when you hear me say that, the work ethics in concert to collaborations that you've done, do you feel like that rings true to you when you reflect on that? Yeah, absolutely. But I also think the way that I view my, my work process is almost always community building. Like, even in the context of creating songs, I think about music as a, as a form of, like, communication. So I'm, I think the reason that I've been able to meet so many people and work with so many people is not necessarily, like, I'm the best producer, I'm the best DJ, or, you know, I'm the best, like, any individual thing. I think it's more that I've been able to connect with these people like outside of just them being artists it's like as people connect with them and have find like common ground and then through that interaction transform that into art and i think that's like partially i think from being haitian but i think it's also from being haitian and guyanese because i i i looked asian mixed but my dad my dad is french African, all these different uh, fusions of, of his lineage that we're still learning about. And the same with my mom is just Chinese and Indian and a bunch of other fusions that we're learning about. So like at a certain point, like I've always felt kind of like all these different places at, at once. And I think in being able to connect with people, it's made me that sense of home, I think, is the baseline of art to me, like just in the way that i present the art that I create and uh with all these collaborators it was always we would talk and then we'd find what what is that shared home that we have you know like what is the thing that this artist from South America and this artist from Nigeria or this artist from New York right like anywhere else in the entire world like what is the thing that we can talk about that we can both be like oh man I know exactly what you mean and we would connect that's what I always would focus on and the music would come you know um not to make like a gross generalization at all, but I think what's significant about you bringing up uh, your Guyanese side is that like, I feel like what I've noticed amongst got people of Guyanese descent over the years is how if they, if they get to like you or love you, they just want to make you feel at home. And I think that speaks to what you're talking about. Like yeah. kind of like that very much like you're welcome here. Let me show you that. Yeah, it's very, it's very friendly and I'm very, I mean, even in the, the like greetings, like everybody's auntie, uncle, you know, yeah. like it's how I remember that being because it's different than in the way that the greetings are done in Haiti. And I think I really appreciated always feeling like no matter where we went, that there's like somebody that's there that's like family or like a support system. And yeah, I really I really value support systems because I would not have done nearly, you know, gone at any point to this point in my career without the support systems that I've had throughout my life, whether that's like teams or artists or friends or family, like there's so many people that have gotten me to this point. Again, like community being so central, not in just the creation process, but also like it feels that to me, that's home, you know, it's a feeling like you're surrounded by people you love. Well, I mean, I think that speaks to upbringing a lot too. Cause like, at least in the context of like the Haitian side, it's that, I mean, I reflect on my childhood and other Haitian people I know, even like cousins and stuff. And like, I don't know if the uh, expression it takes a village came from Haiti. Like, I don't know where it came from. But if someone was to say that it did, it wouldn't surprise me at all. Yeah, me neither. <laughs> it's very community-oriented. Yeah. Um, yeah. I know asking this could be a can of worms, but I'd love to do it. Mate, who are some Haitian artists you wish the world knew more about? They could be artists who are older, artists who are more current. But, 
Yeah. Because I'm asking partially out of the context of myself. I'm admittedly quite ignorant to some Haitian musicians myself, so school me. I'll, I, I'll try and do, like, multidisciplinary. Um, okay, I think if we're focusing on modern, just people who are doing interesting things now, I would say in the directing field and in, like, filmmaking, there's a director called Jessica Genius that did a film called Frida uh, that was at Cannes and she had like so much support and praise for this film. It's really beautiful shot in Haiti. Um, she's an incredible artist. I think if you don't know about her, you should check that out. It's a really incredible project. Francis Ford Coppola was executive producer at one point, like to help support. It was, it was nuts. It was like really iconic. Um, so I'd say that's one um, in, in like art, like painting and, and uh, that kind of like visual art. There's an artist called Yael Talina. Um, she's an incredible painter, but also like she does all kinds of different uh, types of artwork. And in my opinion, is like the best in the world. And she's uh, right. Like she actually did a lot of the artwork for Bio for the for the uh, block parties, um, but also works across like many mediums. And I think if you don't know her work, you should definitely check it out. It's incredible. Um, and then in music. There's so many. There's so many. Um, I'll try and do like, <laughs> I'll do three for music. I'll say okay. um, Baki is an incredible lyricist, uh, rapper, artist. Um, he's, he's like such a kind person as well and um, has so much support from the country. And just like, he's been a collaborator for years. He's actually on the song bio that I did, but his album's consistently chart in the u.s okay. completely independently like it's actually insane and he has That's beautiful. yeah he makes really incredible music so baki in terms of rap creole so uh, creole rap uh i think naika uh she's an artist that she's made all kinds of different uh international sounds but her her history she's like french haitian so many different influences like she lived in africa she lived in the u.s she lived in in europe like she's she's really like her sound is global and she sings in like so many different languages and just like an incredible performer and artist so i think definitely check nike out um and then one more i'd say recently or i'll say this will be a classic artist i think tabu combo for me is like one of the most influential artists that you should know if you want to hear what Haitian music, Haitian kompa, like traditional kompa sounds like. Uh, they actually have a song called New York City. Really? <laughs> it's like one of my favorite songs of all time. And um, yeah, they were, they were like one of the Haitian artists in the, in the 70s and 80s, even up into the 90s that like charted internationally, had massive world tours. Like they were really, really incredible performers. Wow. And um, yeah, I would recommend Tabu Kompo if you don't. Okay, okay. And as you were speaking, it just popped in my head. I would love to give a shout out to a Haitian American artist, Melanie Charles, who's based here in Brooklyn. Uh, jazz artist, she's fantastic as well. Really solid stuff. Imagine you'd be interested if you ever check yeah, it out. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, you know, before we go into the next questions, right? Can we take a sec to point out how cool it is that a Haitian artist crafted a song that ultimately became a theme song for the 2018 FIFA World Cup? That song is Positivo of J Balvin. And can you go into like how life-changing that was? Because I imagine it must have been. Oh, yeah. It was, it was wild because 
at that point, I literally had written down on, on like a list of things I wanted to accomplish. I was like, I want to work with J Balvin. And oh, it was the shit. time, yeah, I had like a list of all these collaborators and it was How on a sheet of paper before we even met. <laughs> and I was like, I love what he's doing. I love Mi Gente. I love the music. You know, it's like so crazy. And he was the biggest artist in the world. And it was, uh, it was crazy because like I had a meeting with Apple because I had just done a documentary with them in La Guanav in Haiti. And uh, we were working with this music school in, in oh. like the top of the mountain in La Guanav. That's oh, a, this island. It's like this island in the center of the country. Yeah. And um, it was a really cool project. We did a documentary. It was with this, this uh, organization called the Beat Making Lab. And um, sitting down with Apple, had this song, the Positivo song. And I was like, you know, I have this song. Like, I'd like to work with this artist, Jay Bavin, but like, you know, it's, it sounds kind of crazy. And yeah. the Latin editor, her name was Marissa, came into to the meeting and she was like, oh, you know, I know Jose. I connect to you. I was like, all right, that's never going to happen. But <laughs> she's like, no, seriously, like, give me your number. We'll keep like, in touch. Thanks, but... She connected us. And um, like one week later, we spoke on the phone. A week after that, he sent me the final song. And uh, we actually met up in person like shortly after. Became really close friends. Like one of my best friends now. And it was... Uh, it was wild. That was like a World Cup song. And I, I just remember thinking that uh, Hips Don't Lie with Wyclef and with Shakira was also a Haitian-Colombian World Cup oh, collaboration. Yeah. So I was like, whoa, this is crazy. Like, we just did another Haitian-Colombian. <laughs> so there must be some link. And there are actually a lot of historical links between Haiti and Colombia that are, are, are no coincidence. Oh, okay. So uh, that, that was... Uh, amazing thing and definitely changed my life in a lot of ways that's beautiful that's be i have to go do my googles after this to read more about the haitian Columbia link i didn't know that yeah, um, the revolution. okay okay um speaking of music how crazy is it that your tune at least i feel this way right charge it with maseko and yazi i i feel like personally it's a great entryway into your world your sound and your approach to music I'm curious if that's how that track feels to you in any way. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, that song is the first multi-collaboration song on this upcoming project that I've been working on. That the whole idea of that is to create a, a little world. And um, Baker, Jazzy, Masego, they all individually have their own lanes and do kind of their own genres. So like Baker. When I went to Kingston earlier this year, uh, I went out a couple times just to hear what the DJs were playing. Because again, DJs, yeah, I feel like, course. right? Like, it's really Research. important. Yeah, you just have to hear. And I heard Baker's music all the time. And um, I was just like, man, like, I keep hearing this guy's name. And I was like, Shazamming. So I was like, you got to meet while I'm out here. And, and he, he came to the house that I was working out of. And we recorded his verse. And in the same way, like, Jazzy, I'd heard so much about. And we linked to New York and recorded the hook. And she actually just dropped a project recently with uh, Diddy, co-signed her. and um, She's more like an R&B lane. And then Masego, uh, we became friends like a couple years ago, met in Miami, but also like worked in LA and New York, a bunch of places. And yeah, his, his sound is like really unconventional and like his story is really unconventional. And, but I think he's like one of the most brilliant artists of all time. And, and a genuine artist too. Like I've, I've been in some rooms with him and it's like, you know, when people... This is all out of respect. You know when people tell stories about Prince and they talk about him like floating and stuff? Yeah, yeah. I feel like that's Masego as well. No, absolutely. And I, I, we connected really well. Uh, and I think 
his approach to things is very like flow state, which I love. And it was uh, it was so cool to work with those three artists who all represent a different type of sound and have them trust me to, you know, create this merge of yeah. their sounds in a way that like, that's how I visualize it. And I really wanted for all the songs on this project for it to be, it, it's literally like a sequence of songs. Like if you went to, if I had this club that just had the music that I was working on being played, like I wanted a continuous stream of these songs to be played and it just keeps going and you're like excited the whole way through. So uh, yeah, it's like the entry point into all the future thing. I'm really keen to hear it. When, when I was preparing for this, right, and reading past interviews of yours, um, a constant thing that came up was that at some point you would find yourself saying, I'm serious, I noticed this, you would find yourself saying simply, I love making music. Yeah. And before we'd wrap, I'd love to explore this with you. Like, what is it about making music that you love? I know it's such a simple thing to ask, but like, or explicitly as well, how does it make you feel? I think at this point in my life, it, it's almost like a necessity <laughs> because I think some people journal, some people uh, do like voice note type things to, to just get whatever you have in your head out, right? Yeah. And um, to me, it's, it's become a way for me to get the most instant thoughts without any processing. Like I can just like, release whatever emotions I'm feeling or whatever things that I'm feeling in the moment into a song form. Uh, I love to work on stuff like that because it, it feels like a processing in itself, like the, the act of doing it, right? Whether it's with the instrument or whether it's like on the laptop or literally just like voice noting, like beatboxing and like making the melodies and stuff and then using that later. It, it, it's an essential part of my daily like almost like a ritual, right? And so to me, that that process feels good. Like it makes me it makes me happy because I I'm seeing something come from like space, you know, like from from above. And that especially now, like to have seen a couple of those kinds of moments then become like a World Cup song or like a number one in the US and like or like a multi platinum selling record or like a Grammy winning project, you know, like all these different things that happen without having any concept of it while I was creating. It's, it's exciting. So yeah, I love, I love that. I love creating stories and worlds through music. I love like the process of connecting people and um, like what we talked about earlier with, to me, community, like the act of creating community, especially with this project is in my opinion just as important as the songs themselves it's like jazzy masego and baker were not connected before the song and now they are and it's like i don't even know what future things could come from that like yeah. maybe they're influenced by something that they heard from that right like maybe they genuinely become friends like maybe it's like changes the way that they approach things in the future and that feels really impactful yeah. on a like on a on a wave that's hard to really gauge or like just like quantify so yeah, that that to me, like between the storytelling part of it, the community building part of it, and just like the necessity and the ritual part of it, yeah. it's like I'd I'd love that this one thing gives me all of these these uh, emotions and happiness.
You know, I, I love hearing that. And it speaks so much to everything we've talked about. I do actually have one more thing I want to bring up because um, can you share some info about these special Bayou shows you'll be doing? Because you'll be doing it in Montreal and in Central Park here in New York. Uh, from what I understand, they're going to be quite different than your typical concert setup. Like, what are those like? What can people expect? The, the most basic way of explaining it was I wanted to create a show that one, uplifted Haitian culture on international stages, and two, where I could DJ and, and MC, but really DJ people instead of songs. <laughs> so I was like, what would be the craziest thing I could ever think of? It would be to get all of the artists of the songs that I'm playing as a DJ, but to have them physically be in the spaces and create these like moments with them where you'll have Jay Balvin as a surprise, like because I don't usually announce a lineup, so you just have to show up and see who's you know who the surprise yeah. guests are gonna be. Um, but you'll have like Jay Balvin and Y Clef, and then Baki and Naika and Jay Perry and Kess and Major Lazer and Mr. Easy and Maxwell. Like you have no idea who's gonna come to the shows, and I, I think in the context of me DJing it and like creating moments of tension and like hype moments and then more calm moments and sometimes it's acoustic sometimes it's band sometimes you know it like shifts and that to me felt like a very a very like Haitian way of doing something <laughs> it's just like making it work like taking this chaotic kind of like you have no idea what's about to come but then creating beauty out of it so that's what the, the block party is all about and in in the process there's so much Haitian excellence like from the creative team to stage setup to like the art that's around the venue to the artists themselves and like in the crowd like there's so much love and appreciation i think that it's like a it's like a space where if you wanted to travel to haiti just for a couple hours like this is the most perfect version of the haitian experience like in that venue so like that's what i tried like i, I wanted to do that since day one gotten to the point where it's at the summer stage in central park which is not it's huge that is like beyond you can't overestimate like what a big deal that is. I never thought we would get that far. And it's like 5,000 plus people. And it started with like 50 people. So that, you know, over the last six, seven years to get to that point is, is really, it's, a, it's an accomplishment. I'm super proud of it. I'm super proud of all the artists that have been part of it since day one. I'm proud of all the new artists that have joined and the international artists that have co-signed and like been part of it. And I can say that everyone who's come to one of these shows has told me it's like their favorite thing that they've been to. So um, if you haven't been to it, I hope that you can join. It's on July 22nd this year. Yeah, I can't wait. I'm pretty sure that's a Saturday, right? It is a Saturday. You, I mean, that yeah. is a cheat code. This whole thing's a cheat code. It's a Saturday, Central Park, New York City, a day that's bound to have great weather by the nature of the time of year. It's like, I imagine it's not going to be hard to like convince guests to come. Yeah, it's been, been like things have fallen into place with that, so... I, I don't try to think about it. I'm just like, it works. So like, as, I'm just going to keep it going because it's like consistently continued to grow and it's been very positive experience. And yeah, I, I, I genuinely love those shows and I, I think everybody who's come to them has come back and it's like, why it's kept growing. They told their friends. But. Well, I look forward to going for the first time. Yeah, Thanks yeah. for this. This was really lovely, oh, mate. Sure. Thanks, thanks this was a really beautiful chat.
Thank you so much for checking this out. Be sure to subscribe to The New Exchange via Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you stream podcasts. Until next time, thank you for listening. Oh.